Hello, kia ora, and welcome to the Creative Matters podcast, where we have inspiring conversations with artists from Aotearoa, New Zealand. I'm your host, Mandy Yakich. Sierra Roberts is an artist from Wanaka in the South Island of New Zealand. She creates bold statement portraits exploring perceptions of beauty and the female experience. Her travels through Australia, Asia, South, Central and Northern America have strongly influenced her art, inspiring her to share and celebrate the beauty she has experienced, challenging her work beyond traditional portraiture. In this episode, we have the most amazing chat about Sierra's experience studying fine arts in Salt Lake City in Utah and also at Whitecliffe in Auckland, how she eventually decided to leave before completing her full degree and why she didn't pick up a paintbrush for the next four years. We discuss a pivotal moment in Mexico that triggered her creativity and passion for art how she found her artistic groove again in 2018, and how she went on to become a full-time painter in 2019. Sierra shares her approach to marketing and social media and how, amazingly, 75% of her 2023 sales were through Instagram. She shares the ideas behind her Frida, Taonga and Coming Home collections, why some of her portraits have their mouths cut off or are painted from the back without seeing the face. She talks about how many of her paintings are actually based around herself in some way and she shares the way she expresses a sense of belonging and place through her paintings. Kia ora, Sierra. Hello. <laughs> how are you? I'm good, thank you, Mandy. Thanks for having me today. Oh, you're so welcome. And I did meet you briefly at Art in the Park um, this year. And uh, we had a chat and I saw some of your amazing works in person. And um, I'm so thrilled that you have agreed to come on the podcast. So welcome. Thank you so much for having me. And it was um, a pleasure to meet you at the show. It was a brief moment in the chaos of calm for me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I bet. It was pretty chaotic, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, So I have been thoroughly enjoying researching your life and your beautiful artworks and um, I'm very much looking forward to hearing how you got to this place. (laughs) So um, I know you're a South Island girl and born and bred. Yes. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about your childhood? Uh, I was, when I was really little, we lived in Mount Cook. Uh, My dad was was a helicopter pilot. He flew for search and rescue down there. So it was a fun, wild, free-range childhood. Um, yeah, my parents are pretty awesome. They just let us kids. I'm a got two siblings, so they just let us run wild. And then when we got to school age, we moved to what was a big town for us, um, Hawea, which if you've ever been down to Wanaka or Hawea, it's very small, but for us it seemed massive. Uh, and yeah, that was pretty much it. They just let us do whatever we want, pretty much spent the whole time outdoors playing in the dirt, <laughs> a lot of clay cliffs, building things out of clay. And, yeah, they just left us to it. So we were pretty lucky kids. 
Mm, and such a beautiful place to grow up down in the South Island. Oh, so beautiful, yeah. yeah. So beautiful. And you're still living in Wanaka, so you obviously um, are very much attached to that place. Yes, more attached than ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, were you actually um, creative as a child? Not any more than any other child. Just uh, I think all kids are extremely creative with uh, their thought process and everything, but I wouldn't have stood out. It was just classic childhood, building mud pies, playing make-believe with our friends, and it's we're lucky it's so safe down here. My parents would just let us run wild until it was dark with whoever, whoever, what other kids were floating around, so we were lucky. Yeah, that's so good. That's quite an old-fashioned childhood, but it's just the best. Yeah, it's so good. I hope that um, if I have kids that they'll be lucky enough to get that too. Mm, yeah, it's the best way to grow up. And uh, at high school, were you starting to discover your skills in visual arts? Yeah, I think I discovered, um, I did discover the art room when I was probably 15 or 16. And it was, uh, it was awesome. I mean, I I love the outdoors too, but in the winter here, it can get a little bit depressing. We get this like uh, inversion layer of cloud for months at a time. You don't see the sun at all. And it can just... Uh, it can get you pretty down. So I was lucky to have the art room to channel <laughs> some of that energy into something fun. But yeah. I certainly didn't, um, wouldn't say that I showed much promise during school. <laughs> really? Not really, but I did. I just really enjoyed it. And I think that's the main thing. If you like it, you'll keep doing it. And mm. so I just practiced drawing out of magazines or, uh, yeah, just copy faces and stuff and draw all the time. And I think that, like, long winters help with that because you can only go outside for a few hours and then it's back to drawing or whatever it is so that you stay sane. <laughs> yeah, that's so great. And that, um, was it something that you were really sort of starting to enjoy the actual drawing of faces at that point? Yeah, we did. We did a segment at school, probably when I was like 15, where our teacher was showing us how to draw eyes and something I'd never really, I'd always enjoyed art, but I never loved it. And then that something just clicked in that class where it was just so much fun drawing the eyes. And when they start to come even a little, like I'm sure they were terrible, but when they start to come alive a little bit, it was so exciting to feel like you'd created that and you like connecting with this thing you've made. Uh, that's probably where it really started for me, that first um, life drawing class. So that was awesome. Mm, yeah. And it, I guess it was kind of, you know, you must have seen some of your sort of natural talent coming through with that and and being kind of pleasantly surprised and encouraged by that. Pleasantly yeah. surprised, I think, is the perfect word for it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, from there, what were you thinking you wanted to do from after high school? Oh, well, I um, really had no idea. I, I did want to be a ski patroller, and I was trying to get the school um, here in Wanaka to agree to let me uh, – do my patrolling course. It's only three months. So I could take three months off school and do my patrol course, but still finish NCEA because I had enough credits that I didn't really need to physically be at school. I'd already got what I needed, but the school was just quite funny about it. Um, you know, they want you to be there. They want to have eyes on you. So they wouldn't, didn't let me do that. And I ended up uh, kind of skipping that part. And then it was just a real push uh at our school, probably at all schools, but definitely at Mac, um, to go to university. You know, if 
you don't go to university, you're probably a bit of a loser was kind of the feeling I got out of it. Really? <laughs> I'm sure that they wouldn't agree that that's how it was said. I'm sure it was said yeah. a lot nicer than that. And what school was that, sorry, Sierra? At Mount Aspiring. It's the only school here in Wanaka. Right. I think there might be another one now. I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, so I didn't didn't want to go to university, but uh, my parents did want me to go to university. They'd had a lot different upbringing than me. They they had like both came from kind of harder upbringing, broken families, and they just want the best for their kids. So they were they thought that that meant university because it wasn't an option for them. Uh, so they uh, were extremely encouraging for me to go to uni. So. I did decide uh, to do a fine arts degree and I went to uh, Salt Lake City in Utah to go there for it because uh, I love skiing so much that I thought I could still pursue the skiing aspect mm. of it as well. So, and how, how did you make that um, that transfer from here to a school in, in America? In America, yeah. It was hard. I had to go over and sit the SATs, uh, which I passed, but it was <laughs> I didn't realise it, and that's probably because I'm um, naive or ignorant or whatever coming from New Zealand but a lot of the questions in the SATs are related to American history because that's what they learn so much about and I just any of it I had they're asking questions about the Cold War and I'm like what's that? (laughs) (laughs) I think it would be the same if you asked an American child to uh, you know questions about New Zealand there's no way the American would be looking at (laughs) New Zealand. Yeah, so I, what, I luckily sc- scraped through the SATs and got um, a spot at the University of Utah, which was cool because then I could go, I like stacked all my classes. So I'd go to school three 12-hour days a week. And then I worked up at the ski field at Snowbird in the evenings on my nights I wasn't at school. And then I'd ski all day. And um, it was awesome. Yeah, so much fun. Yeah, that sounds amazing. <laughs> and what year was that? Uh, 2011. Right. Yeah. Yeah, well, that sounds like an incredible combination of of two things that you're passionate about. It was. It was so fun. <laughs> mm, incredible. And the school, the, the studies didn't suffer with the um, with the snow nearby? They probably did. Uh, they, they really did, actually. <laughs> but I, I would do well in the classes I liked and I'd do terrible in the classes I didn't like. So yeah, that's kind of how I am with everything. If I don't like it, I won't even put the slightest bit of effort into it. It's just not yeah. my I'm not no. going to waste my time or theirs. Uh, but the all the drawing classes I love, the painting classes, art history, so fun. All the other ones that you have to do to get a degree, stats. I think I was doing an environmental one, just terrible. <laughs> so did that ignite sort of your, your passion for travel at that point? Uh, I I'd already was quite interested in it. My dad had quite a colourful uh, past. He's spent a lot of time all over the world doing different things and his stories when we were little we just used to love them you know very captivating and it I just wanted to do that too it just sounded so amazing uh and then he he works in America he works as a pilot six months of the year in the states uh or some or in Antarctica and then six months he'd be stay-at-home dad in New Zealand so that mum could have a break she was probably sick of us by then and then um so his I guess it's quite unconventional upbringing for the parents like mum and dad are still together they made it work but that's not very normal for a lot of people but it made me realize how different your life can be if you want it to be doesn't have Mm. to be follow the regular structure yeah totally yeah and you so you had that one year there then 
Did you come back to New Zealand after that? Yes, I got I got quite homesick by the end of it. Um, even though it was so fun and I was living with a really nice couple in Salt Lake City, I I just got homesick. I missed New Zealand. I would never lived in a big city before and Salt Lake City is absolutely huge. It's also got a really religious undertone, which I struggled with a little bit. Um, and I just used to being in a small town, not wearing shoes or wearing a singlet. And sometimes I'd get told off for being wearing like inappropriate clothing because it's quite conservative there and I'd have my arms showing and stuff. So I just kind of struggled a little bit. Uh, so I was just ready to go home and I just wanted to, just like all probably 18 year olds, I just wanted to go hang out with my friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> and so you came back. Yeah, I came back and because the American schooling is six months different to New Zealand, I got a six-month gap before I went to Utah where I worked at a ski field in Wanaka um, Snow Park, which is not open anymore. And then I worked there again when I came home, which is so much fun working at a ski field. And then uh, and then I had to leave to start university at Whitecliffe. Uh, but I I did really want – I knew that I really wanted to paint and I love. I definitely wanted to do art. I loved it, so I was willing to do whatever it took to get there. And I mm. thought that the only path to get there was to go to school, really. Mm. And that you obviously sort of discovered a bit of a love of painting in that in that one year at Salt Lake City. Yeah, they were the classes there were amazing. They, the the way they taught art history was so engaging, and it was like you're in this huge lecture hall with these huge screens and the. The um, professors were so passionate. You couldn't not be, I feel like even if you didn't care about art, you couldn't not be excited about how they were telling these exciting stories. Mm. uh, Because you're in your first year at uh, art school, I don't know if it's the same in New Zealand, but they give you lots of different modules and sectors. So you try lots of different styles of art, lots of different types of painting and uh, sculpture and lots of stuff. So I just figured out quickly that I love painting and I had a couple of great teachers there that, really helped push that and show they they pretty much just gave you the time to figure it out for yourself, which was awesome. Mm, that's so good. I knew when I went into Whitecliffe already that I wanted to be a painter and it was painting and nothing else. That's all I wanted. Okay. And had you found portraiture at that point? Uh, I was still really all over the place with what I would, I was kind of just trying everything. I, portraits were the most exciting for me, but not um, not necessarily like front-on portraits. It would just be incorporating the figure into things. But that was that was always my favourite part. Yeah, mm. yeah. So tell us about Whitecliff. How did that go for you? Well, I did not love going to Whitecliff. Uh, I found it very stiff compared to Salt Lake City. A very rigid learning environment. Um, and it could have just been that I was young and wasn't in the right headspace for that. And I have kind of struggled with this with all education. I really struggle. Uh, I struggle with how you have to learn all the stuff that isn't relevant or are they, there's so much like, there's so many hoops you have to jump through to get what you want out of it. And I don't understand why you can't just pick and choose what you want. You know, if you know what you're doing or where you're going, I don't see why you need to do the other stuff. So, and to be fair, I've been like that throughout my whole education. I'm sure that uh, I was a nightmare for my teachers at high school for the one for the classes I didn't care about, but for the ones I did care about, I would do well. Mm. But I just struggled at Whitecliffe. Um, they were really pushing conceptual style art, really installation based. 
they uh there was a lot of good things about it too like I met a lot of great friends there and one of them uh her Carla Carla Grace she's huge on Instagram now she lives in Aussie and she does so well and she was the same she left at the same time as me probably because we were both painting realism and that was really something the school wasn't pushing or nurturing and I even had like one of the tutors even said that painting was a dying art and kind of you're wasting your time to follow through with it and I just remember being like why am I here then (laughs) yeah exactly isn't that that's fascinating that they'd actually say that and I, I was speaking to somebody recently, one of one of the guests on the podcast, um, who was saying a similar thing at Elam that painting wasn't really considered to be, you know, the kind of hip modern thing to be working on, which seems so yeah. odd to me. Well, I do understand. Yeah, it's not the hip, it's not the trendiest type of art at the moment. But I mean, it's been there since the beginning of time. So how could it ever die? It's the most important way of storytelling, in my opinion. So I don't see. Mm. Just because it's not the flavor of the week doesn't mean it doesn't have value. Yeah, and you'd think that they would kind of just work with your individual sort of talents and strengths and and yeah. what you're wanting and nurture that rather than telling you you have to be doing something else. Yeah, exactly. That's what that's how I feel about a lot of education. It's fit for the masses and it doesn't cater to individuals, which is a shame. Um, a shame. But it was, you know, there was lots of great parts too like meeting the other artists and then the critique sessions were awesome too. Getting smashed with criticism is really good for you because then you realise early on not to get it, not to take it too personally, you know. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And it probably has, you've probably gained more than you think from it now, yeah. you know, and you can probably see that in hindsight. Yeah. Um, yeah, but you left before you finished the complete degree. I would have wanted to leave sooner, but my parents did talk some sense into me to at least finish the diploma. So, um, and I'm glad that I did stick it out for that year to get the diploma. So it wasn't a complete waste of time. <laughs> yeah. One year to get the diploma. Yeah. Well, I'd already finished the first year at um, Salt Lake. So it's two right. years. To get the two years. Yeah. Yeah. But you're right. When I first finished the school, uh, I was angry and um, disillusioned and sad and everything. But now that it's been nearly 10 years, you're right, I can see a lot more value in it now and what they were doing. And I just wasn't suited for it, that's all. <laughs> yeah. And do you think by the, at that stage you were actually really kind of feeling what you wanted to be making and, and you wanted to pursue that and that was part of the sort of tension between yeah. what they were offering and what you wanted to do? That's exactly that's exactly it. I know exactly what I wanted and it wasn't what they wanted and, I, and my marks were reflecting that that I wasn't that I was only interested in painting and nothing else mm. and and I guess they wanted me to really push myself but uh I really just wanted to paint that's all I wanted yeah and I guess you know in some ways you were lucky at quite a young age to have found found your place in in the yeah. art in your art practice you know you'd really started to establish what you wanted which um a few people I've spoken to on the podcast have felt the same and and I think if you are at that point quite early, going to art school can be problematic. Yeah, I think so too. I think it's better suited for when you're still figuring it out so you can try everything. Um, but I did, I through the two years at school, at no point did I think I could make money out of it. At no point did I think, at no point did we learn how you could make it a viable career and actually earn money. And there was no business 
courses really like they were very small uh and we had a we had these posters in the school at Salt Lake that I still think about today and it was um it was just this uh, artist in like an artist apron serving fries at McDonald's and the saying was do you want fries with that because it was like a running joke that oh that's so great you've got an arts degree that will get you a great job at McDonald's when you're older oh isn't that sad yeah, it is because now now that I'm doing it, I'm like, oh, it's actually doesn't have to be that hard. It can be, you know, it doesn't have to be as hard as everyone says it is. Mm, yeah, you can make it happen with sort of dedication. Yeah, you just got to put some work into it. Hard work, yeah. So you came out of um, out of Whitecliffe when you were 22. Is that right? 22. I think so. Yeah. yeah. And uh, 22. And then sadly, for the next four years, you didn't paint at all. I went into a bit of a dry patch there. <laughs> yeah, and that was, I guess, a, a reaction to what you'd been through at school. Yeah, I just, it wasn't fun anymore. And every time I was painting there, I was told that it was wrong for different reasons or you just get smashed um, when it's like a group critique. And I just, I just, it wasn't fun. And that's the only reason I'd painted before because I loved it. So if you don't love it, why would you do it? Mm. Uh, so I kind of just did the opposite. I went, um, moved to Australia to Byron Bay. I had a girlfriend living there at the time. Uh, and so I just went over there and got a job and just started waitressing and had a great time for a, for a year or so and just saved up some money to go traveling. And that's kind of what I did for the next four or five years, just worked, saved money, went traveling and had heaps and heaps of fun. (laughs) Yeah, which is great. And that also will sort of will be amazing for your art practice and I can I can see the influence you were visiting places like North America South America um, Central America and you can you can see the influence in your in your art now I'd say yeah hopefully it's coming through yeah definitely (laughs) it didn't feel like it um you know art was the last thing from my mind at the time but everything you do impacts who you are so I'm sure it's in there somewhere (laughs) yeah totally and how did you make that Amazing move in 2018 to um, focus more on your art and um, and then eventually in 2019 to become a full-time artist. Well, I'd, I'd done, been traveling a lot. Um, I'd spent a year in Asia, all through India and Nepal, and I got quite sick there and it was like some hard times because I was traveling alone and then ended up in hospital and had to get flown back to New Zealand and and then like save up money again and went to South America with uh, my boyfriend at the time after that. And we hitchhiked a whole length of South America from the very southern tip of Ushuaia to the very top in Colombia. And at the end of it, I was just um, exhausted kind of. I was tired. I think I had just turned 25 and I was like classic in your 20s. What am I doing? <laughs> like, you know, you get and I mean, people have it at any age. I just had a real patch of what am I doing with my life? What I don't want to go back and make coffee. I'm sick of making people coffee. I don't want to waitress anymore. And um, as the trip in South America progressed, it, like the feeling just came stronger and stronger. Like I, I can't go back and do this again. I don't want to save up money and go travel again. I need something. I need some purpose. I need something to happen. And then when we were in Colombia, um, we were in Medellin and we just finished watching Narcos. I'm not sure if you've seen that, but it's all about um, the drug wars and Pablo Escobar. Mm-hmm. And, and Medellin's basic is like the main part where that took place. So the city's 
was ruined by drug wars. And there's like some amazing streets there now that are just covered in street art. That And that is how they've helped since all that's passed. Um, that's how they've helped bring the communities uh, into feeling safe and giving the kids activities and helping get them off the street was by providing a safe place for them to paint, providing the materials and getting them passionate about it. And it was like such an aha moment for me there when we were walking through the streets. I guess since I'd left school, I thought that art really like uh, had no worth. What's the point? And then when I saw that, I was like, it's that's the point. It helps everybody. It doesn't need to. It's so useful. <laughs> yeah. And can and, be so therapeutic. Yeah, exactly. It was helping. It was just helping give these people purpose and helping them like change their life trajectory. And then it just clicked that I just. I wanted to go back and do that and I thought I could I thought I could you know so I was it was like a real strong moment it all came together for me there that mm, that's beautiful yeah that's that's a gorgeous story and and were you actually missing painting were you starting to really yearn for it again I I did miss it in moments um but never all the time but it's I feel like it's one of those things uh, it's like a muscle that gets stronger the more you do it. If you don't paint for a while, you forget about it. It's not as fun and it slowly goes away. But the more you do it, the more you have to do it, you know. Yeah. So I hadn't been doing it for so long that was really like behind the scenes for me. Mm. I missed it a little bit. I missed the quiet times doing it, but I didn't actually really miss it that much. Yeah. yeah. So you had to kind of rediscover it to to get back into it and to feel that passion again. Yeah, that was hard. Uh, when I when I came home, um, you know, I had no money at all, so I stayed with mum and dad for a month, and I did two paintings when I was at home. One of um, a beautiful cholita that I met at the markets, and she's got this amazing orange hat, and uh, it was so hard to start. It was like I was starting again from the very beginning, and it took I think it took me like six weeks just about to do this one painting, and then I remember thinking, man. Like, how are you going to make money out of this? You're so slow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then um, and then after that, I went to, I got a job in Alaska because I knew that if I was going to start painting and pursue it, I needed some money behind me because you can't rely on one painting every six weeks to pay your bills when you've got no money. <laughs> yeah, that's right, sadly. Yeah, I wish. <laughs> yeah. So you went to Alaska? Yeah, so I went to Alaska. Um, I should mention I have a U.S. passport. That's how I got to go to these places. Mm. My mum's American. Um, and I worked at a heli ski lodge there just as um, just working, uh, basically babysitting these very wealthy people. I would I would make them breakfast. I would clean up after them. I'd clean up their rooms while they went out skiing. I'd serve them dinner, serve them cocktails. It was I was just their girl, whatever they wanted. I was there to make it happen. And it was um, really long days, like 17 hours. And it was because you're just there for three or four months in a block. You work every single day. There's no days off. So it was the ultimate money-making um, time for me, you know. And there's nothing to spend money on. We're in the middle of nowhere. We're like 40-minute flight plane out from Anchorage. So we're so far away. And then we're also making American tips, which coming from New Zealand and Australia, we don't really get. So that was a huge bonus for me. And at the end of that, uh, I went home and my parents were so nice. They let me stay rent-free with them for a year uh, to, let, to like, give this a crack. 
Um, and I had all my money saved up from Alaska and I just went for it. I just treated it like a job. I would start work at eight. I'd finish work at five. And it was just really a practice of, um, cause you know, so many people say, I just paint when it fit, when it feel like it, all the mood hits, not for me, it's a job. I turn up, I put in the hours, not everything I made was good. And then I'd sand it back and start again, you know. What were you painting at that time? And, um, and what was your plan with what you were going to create and and how you were going to make this new career happen? Well, um, not really much of a plan, but I was I didn't know that I would be able to be a full-time artist, but I thought I could it was worth putting two years of trying into it to see how far I could get in that. And then I figured after that, you know, if that doesn't work, you can go and become a nurse. It's a great skill. Uh, I'm kind of interested in it so it would be that could be fun but I want to give it two really good years you don't need to worry about the money because you've got your job in Alaska for four months so you're making plenty there Um, and I was painting faces of people I'd met through my travels so it started with all those amazing people I'd met in India and Nepal and I just their stories were so interesting and their lives so different to mine and like I often thought a lot of them were much happier than us in the west because they've got it so much um, simpler, you know, they just make some money, look after their family and spend a lot of time with their family. So simple. They're mm-hmm. not worried about status or anything, or at least in the communities I was in. And so I would do, when I, I came home and um, I thought I'll just try to make 10 portraits and see if I can find somewhere to show them. So I made 10 portraits, couldn't find anywhere to show them. Uh, but we had a local, we have like a Wanaka Art Society. You probably have one up there too. And so I put two paintings into that uh, for their yearly show. And then they both sold, which was super encouraging. It was kind of really a push I needed at the time because I didn't really know if it was going to work or not. And it was the start of Instagram too. So I was starting to post pictures of the work I was doing on Instagram. And it was really the birth of Instagram. It was the first time I'd ever used social media. And it was back in its heyday when the algorithm wasn't – evil like it is now (laughs) and it was to be in chronological order so everyone had an equal chance for their work to be seen yeah um I was really lucky a lot of well not a lot I've sold a few paintings just through Instagram and when I was getting started that was just so encouraging like that was the Mm. real push I needed to keep me so fantastic and and that's often what you need just to keep you going and keep that momentum up exactly were you had you t- you'd taken photographs on your travels and were you working off those photos for your portraits? Yes, I was for the most part. And then I would get, I started getting creative probably after a year. It wasn't as exciting, just the photograph work. Uh, so then I would start merging a couple different photos together. And, that, and then I started learning how to use Photoshop and making new faces. And like, I guess I got a little bit stronger with my own creative direction that it didn't just need to be copy and paste. I wanted to say something about the work myself. Um, so I was like learning how I could do that with a, a made up face or a made up identity and more of a color scheme and stuff like that. So I started getting a little bit stronger in that direction. Mm, that's really interesting. Yeah. So after the those portraits and um, making those those 10 works, where did you go from there? Back to Alaska. <laughs> really? <laughs> It's so good to have that income source, isn't it? Oh, it was, for me, it was 
um, I wouldn't have been able to do it, work a job and then come home and paint. I had to, I'm all in or nothing. So I had to be fully dedicated to painting when I was home and working when I was away. It was just the only way I could make it viable for me. And you felt like you wanted to do it that way rather than being at home with a part-time job. You felt like you had to do that whole yeah. time. Because uh, I kind of tried that in Australia a little, a few times. I'd like try to do a little painting for a friend or something. You come home from work and you're tired or it's your day off and you want to go surfing. Like it's so easy just to push it back and not do it. So I just needed it to be, I guess I needed to make it really serious for myself that this isn't like a joke. It's not a hobby. This is your, this could be your job. So put in some time. Yeah. Um, and that's what I did. And in the second year, when I came back after, um, after Alaska, I went to Mexico for a month with my brother and we had a great time and we went to Frida Kahlo's house and that was extremely inspiring. So I came home and started up uh, my first, what I'd probably call creative collection of work where it was completely my idea. It wasn't copied off a photograph. I was designing all of the works and I started this collection called the Frida Collection. And um, it, it started to do okay. It started to do good enough that I could just about live off painting, which mm. was because I didn't yeah. need much. I just needed enough to live off it. That's all I wanted. Mm. How incredible. Yeah, and with these, these uh, with this collection, and it's just such a beautiful collection. Um, you capture mostly women, mm-hmm. um, and quite a lot of them are elderly, which is amazing. And then they are sort of they feel connected to Frida Kahlo with the with the hair adornments and the flowers and and that kind of thing. So, uh, tell us about what you're communicating through that collection. Well, it started off um, naively just imagining what Frida would have been like if she'd made it to an older age. You know, she she died quite early on and she never made it. And then I guess I got, I guess I kind of got thinking how lucky anybody is to make it to old age, you know. And then particularly here, everybody's so focused on beauty and youth. You know, it's all the rage to be young and put Botox in your face so that you look tight forever and I just thought that's like uh each to their own but the greatest privilege is to be old and have grandkids and watch them grow up you're so lucky if you get to do that so silly that we place so much emphasis on youth when it's really old age that we should be so excited about and Mm, then and also elderly people or people of that older generation we should be embracing because they are so (laughs) experienced and knowledgeable and wise and you know have so much so much interesting sort of perspectives on online. Yeah. And then you, when you're young and you go through something hard, it's so shocking, but it didn't need to be if you had asked the questions or like been there to hear the story, you'd realize that it's not unique, a heartbreak or anything like that, or a friendship breaking up or anything like that. You know, every these people have been through it all before. It's all happened before you. And like, it's just, we don't really ask the questions that much. Mm, I love that. And were those were those ideas um, with you before you started painting those women, or did that kind of evolve as you worked? That definitely evolved as I worked. When it started, it was really just focused on Frida uh, and like creating an aging Frida and how interesting that would have been. And then it changed. Um, I guess the more I painted, the more I spent time with these 
faces, the more they kind of talked to me and I got to know them. And then I did realize like the stories within them are so interesting and we don't know any of them. We don't ask them. We don't, I guess we're too scared to ask them really. <laughs> and then I was got focused on particularly, I thought I should stay in my own lane because I'm a woman. And I was particularly focused on like the female experience. I'm not a guy, so I can't speak for them. So I just focus on the chicks. <laughs> mm, fair enough. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> and uh, those those paintings, um, you were kind of exploring the honesty of the female experience. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Well, it was it was inspired by Frida when I saw her paintings. They are like they're quite shocking. They aren't necessarily beautiful. Some of them are, but quite a lot of them are quite confronting. They're talking about um, miscarriage, stillbirth, all these traumas, all these terrible things that have happened to her. And then, yeah, they're not beautiful. And I just thought that's so amazing that she, in a world where you like, you don't even tell people if you've had a miscarriage because you're it's private, you know, it's hush-hush. She just wore it all. She just showed everybody whatever's going on. And that's so awesome. I don't know why we don't just tell everybody everything. You know, why does it need to be a private way? You get more support if you share your story and then you yeah. find people have been through the same thing. So that's where I got with that. And then the more I opened up to that idea, the more of these horrible stories I was hearing about, um, like friends having had a stillbirth and they still have to deliver in a hospital in a maternity ward. And to me, that was that's just so shocking that they have to do that. That's so horrible. But it's just it's just life, you know. Yeah, and it's what a lot of women have experienced. Yeah, it's not unique. It's not small. It's extremely common, like horrible things like that all the time. And then you just realize, whoa, we're so tough. <laughs> yeah, women are tough. And it's how so do you think these these portraits um, were telling those stories? Uh, hopefully, through the eyes, I do put quite an emphasis on putting expression through the eyes. I try to make them quite glassy. I hope I hope that people are engaged by the portrait and want to like know more. People either are or they aren't. I find that women are interested in many men aren't. Really? <laughs> From what I've seen at shows and stuff, the women are drawn in and they want to know more and a lot of men are like, come on, honey, let's go. Like, <laughs> That's really interesting. Yeah. And also I guess the, the women looking at the photos bring their own stories to them as well. Yes, exactly. That That's the main thing I found out. The first time I shared them in a space that I could see people's reaction was at the very first Art in the Park. And it was it was amazing to see what people were taking out of these paintings. It certainly wasn't what I put in them. But then I realised that's what the magic is. It's what they come up with. And they'd say, um, all, all the portraits were made up. And they'd say, oh, is she Samoan? She looks like my neighbour who always comes over for cups of tea. And I'd be like, well, she isn't anything, but that's what you're putting on it because that's your experience. So that's mm, why yeah. people connected. Yeah, I love that. And that would have felt so amazing for you. Yeah, it was It was nice to see how much people were taking out of them. Mm, that's really cool. And you were you have named those paintings by, you know, just a first name of, of a woman. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, how did they come about, those titles? Well, I thought um, that it would be nice to humanise them and for people to connect. And I do get a little bit bothered with how many um, overly sexualised paintings of women there are out there and they're unnamed 
or they'll like give them some name that doesn't identify them as who they are because they're just an object. And I guess that bothers me. So I didn't want to do, I didn't want these women who I was creating to be an object. They're people, they're, they deserve to be respected, like whether they're real or not. And I wanted, you know, if you name something, you have to respect it is what I guess I was hoping. <laughs> mm, I love that. That's beautiful. Yeah. So from following on from that Frida collection, you went to the Taonga collection mm-hmm. and the um, Coming Home collection, which kind of overlaps slightly. I mean, those paintings are phenomenal and they absolutely move me. I'm so in love with what you do honestly and uh, and I think a lot of other people are too you've sold just about all of the works out of those two collections um can you just describe to us what those paintings from those collections look like and then we can talk about um what they are meaning to you afterwards yeah um so I started off with this collection in mind uh as a very personal collection about me. So I've done all young Pākehā women around my age. So very young. No, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> uh, and so the idea is that, yeah, once again, I want to create work that's about me because that's all I know. I don't want to try to talk for somebody else. I don't know their stuff. Uh, so younger women in various positions, all portraits, and uh, each of the women have a native bird on their head. And I've in their uh, outfit or top or dress or whatever is the where I've tried my best to get it uh, the the food source for the bird or natural habitat that the bird lives in or something that you'd see the bird in so that it's um, like the woman is the idea is that she is secondary to the nature we're kind of just passing by and then the that the payonga is what's special and what makes New Zealand so special. Mm kind of the idea (laughs) so beautiful are you thinking those women they are actually sierra roberts well i think they're all and including the frida collection i think they are all me a little bit um i guess they're my ideals than what i would like the world to be or yeah, I guess they're all me, but they're not necessarily look like me. They're a lot more attractive usually. <laughs> <laughs> you definitely are capturing um, your hair, I feel. I, I feel like the hair is quite an integral part of the paintings. That's my favourite part is the hair. Oh, really? Yeah, I to love paint. it. You love yeah. painting hair. It's yeah. so fun, yeah. The stances that you put the, the woman in is interesting in itself and often they're not facing we're seeing them from behind or from the side but uh what what are you thinking with that um well I did all the Frida collection were mostly front on portraits classic portrait um with their face cut off part way through so yeah, I was going to ask can we go back to that I was just wondering oh, yeah. why, why you cut them off like that um I cut them off at the mouth because I didn't want anyone speaking for them I wanted uh, the idea, I think it started really that nobody asked when your older people were scared to ask or they avoid you or, you know, just because you talk a little bit slower or anything like that, they're a little bit afraid of you. So I cut off the mouth just to express their feelings just through their eyes. I just thought that that could be a powerful tool. They don't need to talk. And I also didn't want anybody talking for them. So I wanted to remove the mouth completely for them. And then so for the Taonga collection, I wanted uh 
kind of 360 on that. I wanted to make it different. I wanted the Frida collection, um, though I might still add works to it, I wanted it to be clearly one thing and the Taeyong collection clearly something else. I didn't want them to get too muddied. Uh, and the turning of the head, I did start in the Frida collection. The abortion laws in America changed. Uh, and I just thought, you know, that's just disgusting. And I got so sick of, I'm so sick of watching women get put down and treated as lesser than. And I thought, you know what? You use women all the time. You're so beautiful. You love women because of their beauty and nothing else. You you don't get it anymore. So I flipped them around um, so you don't see their face. We're sick of we're sick of that. We don't want you just using us. That's kind of why I flipped it around. Wow. Um, and then I kind of continued to play on that in the Taonga collection. I think it's quite powerful having the just someone's back to you. You can still get quite a lot of expression out of that. And it kind of is like um, you don't need to know everything about the woman until you treat us equally. We're sick of that, you know. That's kind of the idea. That might be a little bit too much for what people want, but that's where my head and heart was at when I started doing that. Uh, and I still do some portraits front on, but for the most part, um, you know, they've had enough. <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, it's almost like your tribe really sort of making a statement. Yeah, and I didn't want it to be all about that because it's such a heavy, dark statement. I don't want it to, to be too focused on that, but that's the truth. Like, had enough. <laughs> And how have you, how have you, or how and why have you incorporated native birds? Well, the native birds was thanks to the wonderful COVID outbreak that we had where we got to spend so much time at home. Uh, I just realized by the end of it how lucky we were to be in New Zealand, how not well it was going for the rest of the world. I mean, contentious people weren't happy here either, but I mean, it was a bad situation everywhere. And I just realized we're, how beautiful New Zealanders. We're so lucky that we have clean water and these beautiful rivers and we still have native birds. It just like it was a really, and I'd, I think I must have been like 28 and I'd done all my travel. I was so lucky to get that, most of that out of the way. And it was just like a real moment of coming home and sitting still and being like, man, this is everything. It's so good here. This is everything. Uh, so it was kind of like a way for me to get to know the native birds a little bit better because I feel like once I've painted them, I spend so much more time with them, get to know their little quirks and stuff. So it was like get to know them, get to know more about them and just say thank you to our amazing home here. Mm, that's really beautiful. And I love the way you've you've taken those birds and done something different with them because, you know, let's face it, there are a lot of paintings of birds in New Zealand for some reason (laughs) every time you go to a group show there's there's always birds I mean for some reason yeah capture a lot of artists but you I feel like you've taken them to a really different place and the way that they interact with with the woman is Mm. really really beautiful and and there's a lot of sort of there's a lot of emotion in those in those paintings and a lot of it is about just the placement of the bird so you do unusual things like having the the bird on the woman's head, um, mm. and yeah. So why why have you incorporated the birds in that way? Do you think? I kind of wanted it to be um, show that we are part of nature. We're just like as if the woman was the tree or the whatever the bird's standing on. We're not the focus. It's not all about us. Humans like to think it's all about us, but it really isn't. We're just a little blip. Uh, so that was kind of the idea. 
that even though we're important to ourselves, we're really nothing in like this in the scheme of the whole world. We're very small. We'll have our time in the sun and then we'll be gone. And the birds will probably still be there was kind of that idea. And then it was also uh, hoping to capture, uh, it was hoping to capture the essence that we are nature and so that people would maybe see that, feel it and connect with the fact like, oh, we are just like the birds. We need to protect them. What are we doing? Like, <laughs> not all about us. Why do we keep building roads? Why don't we put a little bit more love back into the earth instead? It was yeah. kind of like that was what I was going for, but I'm not sure if I hit the mark or not. <laughs> no, I think you did. I definitely think you did. And those those paintings, like I said before, are, are really loved by your audience. And you've had soul, sold out solo shows and you've you've sold just about all of those original paintings. What do you think it is that people are loving about your work? Um, I think that this collection particularly people connected with uh, everyone in New Zealand loves New Zealand and is proud of our country. It's a wonderful place to live. We're all lucky to be here. And from what I heard, the feedback I got from shows was uh, people connect differently to different birds. Each one will have, one will call to you more than the other. Like uh, a lot of them, they'd say that, oh, the kotea, that's my spirit bird or something like that. I swear it follows me every time I'm in trouble or sad, it follows me. And it was like really interesting hearing why people connected with them because that's certainly not my intention when I painted them, but it's lovely to hear it afterwards why the birds are so special to them. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And you've really, you've gone a little bit sort of broader than you often see with those birds. You know, we see lots of tuis and kereru and, you yeah. know, there are other birds, tiny little birds and, you know, beautiful birds that you've oh, incorporated yeah. that I hadn't heard of, you know, which is kind of nice as well. It's almost like you're educating your viewer in that way. And me. <laughs> yeah. So you've got a little bird book that you refer to, I presume. Yeah, I turned 30 and became an instant bird nerd. <laughs> <laughs> so you have done um, like the red cloak. You've done paintings with butterflies. And yeah. that was the red admiral butterfly, wasn't it? That was on that painting. Yeah, that was um, endemic to New Zealand, that one. But it was quite hard to tell what made it unique to other ones. Um, but I just thought it would be interesting to try branch out a little bit further because I'd done so many of the birds and the natural habitat. I thought it was, it's not just our birds, it's all our insects that are quite interesting. So I thought it would be fun to try a couple mm. different. I just did one with the Puriri moth um, for a show up in Auckland. And, you know, it's they're so beautiful. Like the camouflage on their wings is kind of like breathtaking. How yeah. how like how did they get to that point? It's incredible. I know they are the most beautiful insects ever. You know, yeah. that light, gorgeous, sort of soft light green. Um, yeah. oh my god, I, I'll never forget I was at a party and the light was on and we were outside, the light was shining onto part of the house, and we looked up and there were probably 30 periri moths oh. on on the on the house. And I was just like, oh, my God, I'd literally never seen one in my life. Yeah, I've and, never seen one in person. Yeah, and this was near Goldie's Bush just up here at the back of oh. Miriwai. And it was just like, oh, my God, it was like a sacred sort of moment almost. Yeah. It was quite like, oh, my God, you know, it was quite overwhelming. And then they're just so beautiful. And for them all to come together at our party oh. was amazing. 
that would have been such an amazing moment. Mm. I'm like, oh my God, what the hell is that? I didn't even know what it was. It was just so, it was just like this insect from sort of another world, you know. Exactly. And they've just quietly existed there without bothering anybody for such mm. a long time. And then we blunder in. Oh, actually, before we go on to talking about your process, can we talk about the Coming Home series a little bit more? Um, I just love the way you have you've wrapped the woman in fabric in some way, in some sort of garment that reflects the New Zealand landscape mm-hmm. uh, or sort of flora of New Zealand. And that to me is just, it's, so, it's such a unique idea. I mean, I've just never seen that. And I I love it. And I think that um, they would make incredible dresses. Like maybe you need to speak oh, to a yeah. fashion designer <laughs> and actually get that onto fabric because they are stunning. It would be so nice to be shrouded in nature, wouldn't it? Like a beautiful mountain. Yes. Uh, they were They were kind of a continuation from the Taonga collection, um, but just one step more personal to me. Uh, growing up in Wanaka and Mount Cook, such special places surrounded by mountains, and that's had a huge impact on my upbringing, spending time in the hills and skiing, just so lucky. And, like, the most important feelings I remember whenever I'm lost or whatever will be, like, sitting there and looking out at this amazing view or just a mountain or the lake or whatever and then just realizing how little you are, you're so small, you know, and it's kind of like takes your breath away, how big what you're looking at is and how little you are. And I just think that's the most special feeling in the world. And if we all got to feel that, I think we'd all be better people. If you realize how little you are and like the world's just doing its thing. It's so epic. Mm. You're just nothing kind of. <laughs> mm, yeah. You're not as important as you think, as you think I you know. are. And yeah. I mean, we all get caught up with that. I'm so busy. I'm so busy, but mm. you're, not, you're not that busy. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. So for this one, I was doing a show with a winery uh, out in Bannockburn and Carrick Winery, uh, and they're awesome. So I want to do something special just for them. And uh, I was just getting more and more into this idea of how lucky we are, really, and how amazing everything around us is. So I got uh, used my friends as models, all the girls here in Wanaka, and got them in their beautiful long dresses and got them like twirling or, yeah, lots of nice fabric around them. And I've heard, I think some of them have birds, but not all of them. Um, but I pretty much just put a landscape within their dress and it'll be the local peaks. Like, and I used, um, collaborated with local photographers to borrow their images for the mountains. So uh, I couldn't have done it without them because they're the ones out there getting the amazing shots at sunset and sunrise. So I was trying to make it trying to make the portrait feel empty so that it's kind of that lonely moment where the whole world, it's like that moment of sublime where like the whole world's so big is what I was trying to capture um, with the person being, the figure being small and then within them is so much is the landscape. Mm, yeah, so, I love that. <laughs> that is so great, yeah. And then you have also painted landscapes. Um, is that... Yeah. Something that you did at a time and and stopped doing, or do you do those now and then in between the portraiture work? Um, I I don't feel particularly confident in my landscapes. I wouldn't wouldn't call myself a landscape artist, but I certainly dabble in them quite a bit. When when we had the first lockdown, I'd never painted a landscape before, so I set myself. I wanted to learn a new skill, so I set myself a task of painting two hundred mini landscapes. Um, in a month and they were very small like 
five inches by five inches. And by the end of the 200, I was significantly better than when I started, which was not very, they weren't very good to start with. Uh, so that kind of gave me a bit of confidence to build on them. And now I, I'll do them for commissions, but I don't, I don't often paint one and then put it up for sale because I feel like landscapes are so personal to the person, which landscape connects to you. So I would, don't just offer them. It's if people want a specific one, really. Mm, okay. Yeah. But you are open to commissions with landscapes. Yes. Yeah, I do enjoy them and I always find them a challenge, which I kind of like being pushed and thrown around a bit. Mm. And would you ever accept a commission for your other works? Yes, I can, I accept um, lots of different stuff. I'm trying to accept less now. It's just getting It's just getting hard for me to keep up. And then when I get overwhelmed, I do this thing where I just stop replying to people's emails, which is terrible. <laughs> no, but fair well, enough. You get to that yeah. point. So what are people asking for when they want when they want a commission of of something like out of your Taonga series? Uh, a lot of them will ask for um, one of their parents or somebody that's special to them to be the model, and then they'll pick like the bird that is significant to them in it. Mm. Uh, so it's just a little bit more personal to them. It's not because I think some people struggle with having a stranger on their wall. Yeah. So they want something more personal to them. And you're happy to do that to work from a photograph? Uh, most of the time, yeah. It depends. Uh, I can usually get a good feel in the first couple of emails of what kind of client I've got on my hands, whether they're awesome, easygoing, friendly, or if they're extremely controlling. And if they're going to be controlling, I'll probably just tell them I won't, don't have time because it's I, I have done my time with that. <laughs> yes, you don't need to do that. No, yeah. and quite often they're not happy if they're that controlling because they don't know what they want is what it comes down to. Yeah, so, and they don't understand your process probably. Yeah, a lot of people don't, but, I mean, that's the fun of it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. I think it would be incredible to have, you know, someone you know with their sort of connected bird. I think I can imagine yeah. why people would want that. Yeah. Yeah, me too, yeah. But people definitely connect to this other woman who they don't necessarily know. Yeah, to have someone you don't know because then you're not engaging with it as much on the wall. You can kind of step past it and get on with your day. Whether, mm. And if it's someone you know, you've probably spent more time considering it. Yeah, true, true. So let's talk about your process. I feel like I know your process really well from your amazing reels that you throw out onto Instagram and Facebook regularly. <laughs> uh, and I love it. And I feel like it's um, it's a beautiful gift that you're giving a lot of people, including myself, to uh, educate people and to to share how you make your beautiful work. So, you know, well done you. Yeah, hopefully it helps somebody. <laughs> yeah, I think it would. And um, you've done reels of just showing your process sped up and um, right back to the beginning and when you start underpainting and drawing and that kind of thing. But also um, I saw a reel about preparing boards and canvases and linen that you paint on, which yeah. was really interesting. Yeah, tell us about your process from the beginning um what you would go through with one painting maybe from the Taonga series oh well, it starts with the idea it really starts hours and hours before you ever see me even touch a paintbrush um it starts with an idea and me fluffing around on photoshop uh and I really not that good on the photoshop I call it franken shopping with what I do there it's just um I just spend hours coming up with the idea and getting it to work you can kind of just tell straight away if it looks right or not. It takes 
some of them come together in an hour and some of them I'll work on them on and off for weeks at a time. But I never do, I just do the computer work. I'll just do an hour here and there. I never sit there all day on the computer. I'll do usually in the evenings with a wine so I feel a little bit more loosey-goosey. <laughs> I'll <laughs> around on the computer and try so to come. So you actually make, you, you make the image on the computer yeah. before you start? Yeah, I'll have the full design drawn up, ready to go. Um, but it can take quite a while to get to that point because you've got to source the images and everything. Um, and then when I'm finally comfortable with an idea, and not all of them are good, but when I'm happy enough with the idea, then I'll draw it up, uh, paint on the lines, the outlines of the painting so I've got it centred, and then um, paint a underlayer of bright paint so it's nice warm tone to start off with and then it's not that big scary white canvas staring mm. at you. <laughs> and you normally have some sort of um, yellow or ochre don't you for your underlayer? Yeah yeah the Quinza some kind of nickel color I can't remember which one it's called but it's nice and warm. Mm. Yeah so you put that in the in the main part of the painting and into the person and the bird yeah. and then you often do start your backgrounds and will complete your backgrounds, don't you, before you start? Yeah. I always like to work from back to front. Um, and I am very, I am quite focused when I work. I do need it to be quite structured or I kind of battle. I'm not one of those people that works on a few paintings at once. It needs to be one painting. I know what I'm doing. If it's not working, I can have a break and come back to it. But I'm not really allowed to leave a section until it's finished because then I'll, then I'll never come back to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I'll do the background first, um, make sure that that's clean and tidy, and then I'll start working usually on the figure. I'll start on the facial expressions if there's eyes in it. That's the most important part to me. And then the person will be painted first um, in order from like back to front. So depending on how they're facing, it'll be the outer layers first. And then the bird and then the habitat last. Mm. And that just helps me. I guess it's just too big of a project. Otherwise, I just need to focus on something small at a time. Yeah. And right. the backgrounds, uh, you have had clouds and that kind of thing sometimes in some paintings, but often they're just one color, yeah. often a gray, a gray tone of some sort. Is that yeah. Right? Yeah. Like different colors of the long white cloud is what I was going for for the tail on the collection. Right. So different shades of gray. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's normally gray at the moment, not white. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> After a rainy year that we've just had. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, that's really interesting. And how do you actually figure out the sort of exact tone of that of that background? I'll have it mocked up on Photoshop. So I'll have an idea of what I'm going for, but I very rarely get it right. It'll be similar but not ever the same. Mm. So I'll like have the design there ready and it will never ever look like that. I even if I want it to. <laughs> And you just transfer that drawing, looking at the at the image that you've created on Photoshop. You transfer it straight onto your canvas or linen or or board. Yeah, I'll tr- I'll trace it now. I used to do all the free hands with the freeders. I'd freehand them all, and I just um, one of my friends who's a painter in Australia came to stay, and he was so reasonable. He's like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> it's like, "No, it's important that you know that I show I can do all of it." And he's like. You're just wasting time. You know you can draw. Just get into it. And ever since he said that, I was like, you're so right. I know I can draw. If I have to draw, mm. I can do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just another yeah. technique, isn't it? Yeah. So now I just trace it, and it really does save probably an, a whole day of work. <laughs> yeah. And you take – how do you trace it from a – do you blow up that image really big? 
yeah, I've got a terrible projector that I can kind of get the outlines from. And then once I got the outlines, the inside bits are easy for me. You know, mm. I pretty much can just work that out with paint. Yeah, just to get those proportions right because that can be tricky. Yeah, that's the bit I really struggle with is getting it right in the centre if I freehand it. So at least this way it's dead on in the centre. Mm. Yeah. That's great. It's funny, isn't it? A lot of artists feel like that. that they're like, oh, you know, I should just persevere and draw it myself. And oh, yeah. yeah, I did it for years. It's just like one of those funny things where you, you're just trying to prove something and it's only to yourself, so I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No one else cares. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you use acrylics, which is um, it's kind of surprising. I actually thought initially that they were oils. What do you like about acrylic? I get that a lot. Most people think they're oils. And then um, there's such a stigma around acrylics too. People think they're lesser than, but they they are not. They're great. They're Professional grade ones are just as good as it wills. Um, and I like them because they dry instantly and I'm very messy. <laughs> so that saves me a lot of paint all over my clothes, even though I still end up like that at times. Um, and also just down here in Wanaka, just takes forever to dry. I just don't have the patience for this. I don't want to pluck the hairs out of my painting as it takes months to dry. You know, acrylics work for me, so they're great. Um, I'm sure yeah. I'll have a plan of oils. From time to time but at the moment I'm impatient and I've got nowhere to store the work so acrylic is is my go-to yeah and <laughs> if you if you are a person like you said who likes to work on one painting at a time yeah that would be very hard with oils yeah exactly and then I'd have to work on a few and I'm sure one day um I might do that but for now it's, this is what works for me yeah mm, it's funny isn't it that stigma with acrylic I think it is changing we've talked about it before in another yeah. episode I think it is changing but for some reason yeah there is a this thing that maybe it is lesser than yeah I think it's just um the old thinking like oil always was superior to acrylic but with the technology now acrylic's right up there and uh, you have sold as I said so many of those original paintings but you are also producing prints of them and they come out so beautifully don't they Oh, yeah, I have an awesome um, photo gallery down in Dunedin that does all the hard lifting there for me, and they do an awesome job. I do the prints so that for people that can't afford an original, like I understand I can't afford I can't afford an original either, <laughs> maybe one day. Um, but it's so that people who still want something can still kind of get in the game. They're limited edition, so they're still worth something if you hold on to them for long enough. Uh, and then I want to I give back because – you know, I don't really give back in that many other ways yet. I hope one day I'll start doing lessons or mentoring or something. But at the moment, I don't really feel like I have any time. I feel like I'm so busy trying to get ahead, get my head above water, that I don't have the time to offer that to other people. So at least um, being able to give back to like a wild bird trust, it suits the theme. I love the birds. I love Glenorchy and going running there, running the root burn. So it's like a nice thing to think when I'm, and they're going for a run and I see a little rock green or something. I'm like, oh, hopefully some of the money has helped you a little bit. I hope that yeah. you're doing better. <laughs> That's so lovely. It's such a beautiful way to give back. Yeah, it's small, but I mean, every little bit helps, right? Mm -hmm. And you're still sort of just bedding in your practice and, and building your career. And, you know, you've got plenty of time to do more of that as you get older. I've got a long way to go, so don't want to rush into anything yet. <laughs> no, no, and there's no need to, you know. And you're you're bringing a lot of joy to people through your art anyway, which is is valuable, you know. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I hope so. 
And I saw one of your reels about um, when you were organizing your prints and signing them, and you seem to have a little gadget. Yes, tell us about that. I only just got it this year, so all the older prints that anyone's ever purchased um, won't have one, but uh, my friend Carla, who lives in Australia, and she does very well through her work, um, she was telling me that it's a really nice addition to have to your prints so that if you're like you write you number it you sign it you write the name of the painting on the print but if for some reason they frame it without that showing or that either rubs off or whatever happens to your print it's still embossed so it will be like a really nice way to tell that it's a genuine authentic print that came mm-hmm. from the artist not like a reproduction made in China that somebody iPhone took a picture of your painting which you see all the time yes um, sadly yeah yeah so hopefully that's a that brilliant idea. I love yeah. that. And that is, um, is it your signature or, or some sort of logo that's just sort of um, embedded into the print? Yeah, it's really simple. It just says SRA, Sierra Roberts Art. So it's not even a proper signature. It's just simple and you really can't see it on the print. It's You can only feel it when you touch the back of the print. So it's invisible mm. and it's just a nice wee, like, mm. way of people knowing it's genuine. It's not it's not a fake. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And I love, you know, especially for a limited edition, it just feels almost like it's something extra special that you've got an embossed version. Uh, so let's just move on to your galleries. You do have, well, you are represented by six galleries around New Zealand. And I thought it was quite interesting that you're represented by three galleries in Wanaka. Mm-hmm. How do you manage that and and how can you show your work in more than one gallery in one small town? Well, Wanaka, only one of them is a proper gallery, Gallery 33. Uh, Bowen Ivy is an interior design store and Thieve and Kia is my mum's store so she can do whatever she wants. Oh, okay, right. <laughs> well, that explains it. <laughs> yeah. but I have an agreement with Gallery 33 and Bowen Ivy that they get se- separate lines of work so that um, – so that they're not getting the same thing. And they're on the same street too. So it's important that they're getting unique products. Mm. So Bowen Ivy gets the Frida collection, which suits their interior and homewares. And the girls there are so lovely and they do a great job of sharing the story. And most of the people shopping in Bowen Ivy are women. So it kind of suits them anyway. And then I only just started with Gallery 33. I just had my first show with them last week. Um, so that's all new and they get the new... Taonga collection that's what they connect with and they don't really want portraits uh they find them that that doesn't really work in their gallery so they're all getting like the back turn portrait suits them better so yeah. we've gone into it with an agreement that's clear honest uh with separate lines of work so that no one gets, mm. yeah that's so good that's really smart and you also have a queen's a gallery in queenstown nelson and you're with flagstaff gallery in devonport yeah, they're great. <laughs> yes, they're amazing. They've been there forever. And Carrie, who runs it, she's just yeah. so, yeah, mm. important to me. <laughs> so you've got a nice kind of um, spread across New Zealand. Yeah, I hope. Um, I don't really put too much work in the galleries. I really only give them a piece at a time. Uh, and it's just, I just hope that people see it. Quite often they'll see a work. And it won't do much. You have to see it a few times before it percolates and gets somewhere. So I just hope that there's a little bit of work sprinkled everywhere that people will eventually start to connect with it. You know, that's the hope. Mm. Yeah, 
definitely. And you're also are showing your work through various art awards that you become finalists in and that kind of thing, which yeah. is another great way to show work. And um, and then through Instagram and Facebook, which you're fairly prolific on, you do really well with your social media. It's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, it is a lot of work. And how do you find um, selling through that? Is that is that a good place for you to be actually selling your work? Yeah, I, I actually just did the telly with my partner the other day and I sell 75% of my work through my own Instagram. So wow. it's uh, it's an awesome tool if you know how to use it and if you remember that it works for you and you don't work for it. It's just easy to get carried away or to get depressed or down. You just got to remember it's a free tool. You don't have to use it and it can be awesome if you use it right. Yeah. So what are you doing right? Oh, God only knows. <laughs> <laughs> the reels, the reels are quite powerful, aren't they? Yeah, the the reels people seem to connect to. I mean, it's been a hard year for everybody on the algorithms changing, people getting less views and connection than ever before. I mean, it's not unique. Just everyone seems to think they're shadow banned, but they're not. It's just the way that the thing's going. They just want to make money out of you. So um, I guess the reels help. I don't ever really know how people which what they've seen, but I try to keep sharing enough that there's something always popping up. And it does seem to work that way. I've had people who have purchased prints off me say like, oh, I've been thinking about this for ages, but your last reel is what really pushed me over the edge. And I'm like, oh, that's good. It's not time wasted for me. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. That is amazing. It, it really is because it's quite a lot of trust for someone to buy a painting without seeing it. It takes quite a lot, strong level of trust there. I mean, I would find it hard to do, but I guess the people who have been watching for a while and maybe they've seen one in one of these galleries so they know the quality or mm. what it will look like in person. So I guess that's how it works. Yeah, it works. and doing things like Art in the Park is a lot of people go <laughs> through that. They might not necessarily buy anything, but they become familiar with, with your work. Yeah, th- th- those kind of shows are great because then they can see in person how it's going to actually look. Mm. And then when they find a piece that suits them, they already know that the, the quality is there. Yeah, it's so good. And I think you you are very good. You you do give quite a bit of yourself. Like I feel like I I think you kind of give, well, you make people feel like you, they know you. So you are connecting personally. You know, I love it. Sometimes you don't sort of engage and, and you just see you putting a painting up on the wall or something yeah. like that. And sometimes you sort of end up with a cheeky smile just before the end of the, <laughs> the reel or you uh, – you just kind of give little little bits of your personality um, and and do create that kind of con- deeper connection, I think, with your audience, which is a real strength of yours. Yeah, it is important that if people are going to spend their hard-earned money with you, that you give them something of yourself. Like it's such an honour for them to choose to spend money with you. The, the least you could do is give them something back and like, appreciate it be kind to them because they're the like they're the only reason I can afford to live here or anything like that so I think it's the least I could do is because you you see so many Instagrams and it's so cold and they don't smile or it's just about the art and it's so serious and you're like oh the least you could do is be grateful for whatever people are helping you with. Mm, That's a really lovely way of looking at it. So how do you actually organize your life so that you can devote some time to that quite a bit of time I imagine and paint all day 
So yeah, how how do you how do you manage your day, and what does an average week look like for you? Uh, it's an ever changing process, um, but I'm trying to get I'm trying to get it better. I usually go to work at like seven thirty, and I'll paint paint till 10, 30, 11, have breakfast, stop for half an hour and fluff around. And then, um, yeah, paint right on through the day, usually just until my partner finishes work, which is usually 5 or 5.30. So that would be my big stint in the studio. And then there are days where I won't get into the studio if, if I've got a lot of print orders where I need to catch up on that. They can't, That can take all day. But I, mm. I'm trying to compartmentalise the prints because otherwise it just runs into everything. So I'm trying to just do that one day a week now catch up on all the orders, do it at once while I'm in my print room. Uh, and then social media time, I used to do it in the evenings when I was on the couch, but it's becoming too hard to do that. It really is. I realised that actually it's just work. It's not fun. I shouldn't be on the couch doing it, cutting into my time with my partner. I should be, that's part of my job. So I need to build that into my day more. So now on my lunch break, I'll lie on the ground with my legs up in the air against the wall so that I just find that really relaxing. <laughs> and then I'll try to build a reel or figure out what I'm doing. Um, and I went through a stage earlier this year where I do a post every single day. And it just got, it's just gotten, it was good then I had the energy, but now I don't. So now it's more like three a week. That's kind of all hmm. I can manage. That's, um, you know, you're so, so devoted and so dedicated. Have you ever thought about now that you're getting more successful and becoming more known, and you're selling your paintings. Have you ever thought about bringing people in to do some of that work for you? I certainly have, um, particularly prints. I would love one day someone to come and help me. It's not really my specialty. I'm not very good at packaging. I certainly don't enjoy packaging. Um, but I will say it does feel really special that when I'm packaging, it's quite a special feeling that someone's trusted me, that they liked something enough that, so I guess even though I don't always enjoy it, I'm really like, thank you. That's so nice that you trusted me enough to buy something from me. That's really mm. nice. Yeah. Uh, but I have thought it would be great to get maybe a high school girl or an aspiring mm. artist to come one day a week and help me. But for now, um, I'm too much of a control freak, so I'll just hold on to it for a bit longer. <laughs> <laughs> but you'll get to that point, I imagine, because you are, I mean, you're already busy, but you know, with commissions and shows and art awards, and I'm sure that you're going to end up really too busy to do it. Yeah, I think the first thing I'll drop is commissions. That's They take up, um, even though I do enjoy them and I love making special things for people, they take up so much space in my head. It's like prints don't take up any space in my head, whereas uh, somebody who wants a picture of the lake but they want it from this angle and they want the sky to be doing this and they want these flowers put over here and I'm just even when I'm not working on it it's still like rotating around in there mm. and I'm like how am I going to do that and I do quite often get the solution to those things when I'm running or sitting staring at the wall so I'm never not really thinking about it so I think it would be nice and I probably will stop sometime next year and just have a break from them because I just don't have enough room in my head anymore now for all of them. Mm, fair I enough. want to do a good job not a bad job <laughs> yeah that's that's right and the thing is too that you're there's so much communication with with the client so much emailing backwards and forwards and and yeah. that in itself is time you know it's taking time oh yeah and a lot of it um doesn't go anywhere <laughs> so there's like so many emails you'll send that will end up nowhere or 
And like, especially if I spend time on Photoshop coming up with their design for them, if it doesn't go anywhere, that was still five or six hours of my time that mm. kind of didn't go anywhere. And I don't mind, but I just think it's probably time that I that I have a break from that. So yeah. I can and it seems like the print, somebody organizing the prints for you is is something that someone else can do, you know. Yeah. And like uh, like my business mentor said to me, and I often quote him because he's like my guru, <laughs> was that, you know, figure out which jobs you don't want to do or you don't like to do in your business yeah. and uh, get someone else to do it. Like simple. So simple. It's genius. <laughs> yeah, it's genius. It's like, why didn't I think of that? But yeah. And it, it does work. It works so well so that you end up doing all the stuff that you love and uh, your business ticks along enough to be able to pay somebody else to do the other stuff. And often, you know, the person who, who manages my materials and my art store, Suze, she listens to the podcast religiously, so she'll be listening. <laughs> she is just that kind of person who loves that kind of organization and loves having things in order. And it's sort of, for her, it's so satisfying. And, you know, she loves that process. And so she's the perfect person for it, much better than me. That's absolutely what I need. I need a Suze. You do. I need to <laughs> Everyone needs a Suze. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, so just one question quickly. Now we're talking about social media. You are sort of moving into TikTok a little bit. How are you finding that? I feel like a little bit of a dinosaur in a young person's game. Yeah. <laughs> when yeah. I when I first joined it, I honestly couldn't figure it out at all. I had to get my brother's friend to come over and show me how she, like I just couldn't get it because Instagram, it's already catered to your algorithm. It already knows what you want. You already know how to use it. You take for granted how easy it is to use now. Uh, TikTok, I didn't, the algorithm, I had to build the whole thing from scratch. It doesn't know who I am or what I like. So I found that really hard. And then the, in a lot of ways, it's actually better than Instagram. Um, it saves your hashtags, which I find the most soul-destroying and hardest part of any post. Mm. So it's awesome that you don't have to like write them out yourself because it's just. Yeah, that's good. Um, and so what I've been doing is I just make a, I make my reels on a video app um, separate to Instagram and TikTok so then I can just share them to both without having to remake the video. And that's mm. saving me a lot of time. Yeah. And with TikTok, uh, it took a little while, but um, I'm starting to get a few more followers and figure it out now. But the videos are shorter. They have better music and um, much higher engagement than Instagram. I, I think I only had a thousand followers on TikTok, um, and and I and I'd still be getting at least five thousand views. Whereas on Instagram, I have eleven thousand followers, and I'm lucky to get a thousand views. Like I just don't really get how it mm. works. With TikTok, you've got a lot higher chance of getting your videos seen. Getting seen. And yeah. do you think your audience is on TikTok? Well, I didn't think so. I thought I was like for the first. I mean, I started doing it earlier this year and I've got I've got a bit of following now and I thought it was really just young people, but I've gotten two commissions through TikTok. So it really is amazing. You really don't even know how people find your work. Mm. It is kind of, it really is amazing. Or quite often it'll be people that have seen my stuff in galleries and then later a video will pop up and they'll be like, oh, I, I saw that. And it's, so it's kind of amazing you want them to see it lots of different places so that they, if they like it, they connect. Yeah. Yeah. And the more platforms, the better, I guess. Yeah. I would, I think TikTok audience would probably be more interested in prints 
or process. But I mean, once again, I got two commissions out of it. So yeah, a waste of time. Mm, that's really interesting. That's that's good to know. So I think we're on to our question time. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you want to say before we go there? No, I think I'm ready. I've got okay. notes so that I don't forget all my points. Good. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what would you say to your younger artistic self? Okay, um, that one's really easy. I would just say to keep going um, and that you get out what you put in. And I'd, I say that to everybody who ever asks for advice. You, you only get out the, the energy and effort you're putting. You're not going to get good unless you do 10,000 hours of painting, you know, and and same with social media. You're not going to – people always complaining, like, why don't my reels go viral? Why don't I have all these followers? You've got to just keep posting. You've got to figure it out. You've got to put in the hours. It sucks, but if that's what you want, then that's what you've got to do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so true. And what um, what do you find is your biggest challenge as an artist? Managing or like thinking of myself as a business or a small business, I find, and we kind of touched on that before, the hardest part of being an artist is the fact that you don't get to paint all the time. You in fact get to paint maybe only 70% of the time or less. Mm. It's, you know, um, I have to market the work myself. I do all the content for social media. I do all the emails, which is what I find the most challenging. Um, I do my bookkeeping and like, I've got to always make sure there's enough money in the bank because you don't always sell works. You might go through a few, few months of not selling anything, which can be hard. I package the work, which I also don't like doing. And my probably weakest point is keeping on track with deadlines and being organized with a calendar and knowing what's coming up. So it's kind of just like juggling. It's just the same as any small business. It's juggling all those little things and how to optimize your time and how to still be able to hit. Because I, all I really want to do is paint, but I've got to do all the other stuff to get there. So it's it's figuring out the best way to do all of it. <laughs> yeah. Which artists inspire you and uh, and who do you love out there? Well, I touched on Frida Kahlo before. She's a huge one. I just love the honesty um, and the human spirit that she achieves through her painting. Um, I love CJ Hendry, the hyper-realist uh, colour pencil drawer, and I just love her more than her work. I love the way she runs her business. She's just got big ideas, big exhibi- exhibitions, big execution, and I love um, how she approaches everything. She's just just a battler like the rest of us trying to get through it all. <laughs> and I mm. love it. Um, I love Van Gogh. Um, I love his color theory. I didn't really appreciate his work until I read his or the biography about him, The Life. Um, but there was a chapter on that about color theory, and it just changed everything for me. I mean, until then, I'd never really considered color theory or what it can do to your brain or how people receive the work and stuff and just reading that chapter just really changed my approach to painting and color mixing um so that was huge moment for me uh and I love Goldie obviously because he's the man (laughs) yeah every time I go to see him his works at like Auckland Museum or anything I just I mean it doesn't get better than that they're so real they're still painterly he's got the perfect um the perfect mix of painterly and realism without overcomplicating it. It's just gorgeous. Um, love Rita Angus, love portraits. I love what how she expresses herself. And I love Henri Matisse. I love his colour. And I one of his favourite things I heard him say 
um, or his favorite quotes was, uh, and then color became like sticks of dynamite. And I always think that sometimes when I'm in a particularly good patch of painting, I'm like, it is like dynamite. It's like an explosion. It's so exciting. It's so powerful. <laughs> yeah, and it, it moves people so much, doesn't it, Color? It really does, yeah. <laughs> I've got so many native birds hopping around outside my studio. Piwaka waka, kiriru, tui. It's like they're coming to listen to your conversation. <laughs> oh, that's so nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, have you finished your list? Is that is that? Fun? That's me, yeah, that's them. Yeah. Good list. There's many more, but, you know, that's the gist of them. <laughs> yeah. Why do you make the kind of work that you make? Oh, I find that one the most challenging question. Uh, and it's just something in me, I'd say, same as probably all um, all artists. It's just who I am. It's in there. It has to come out. <laughs> and it would come out in other ways somehow. Um, I just love painting, and it's the only time I really truly feel like myself is when I'm in there, it's just like I'm really me. And um, I just want to keep painting. I hope I can keep painting. I hope I'm lucky enough to keep at this and see where it goes and how far I can take it. It's just I can't think of a more beautiful thing to do than paint for your whole life. It's so awesome. Mm, that's <laughs> really beautiful. And uh, just another little sneaky question. Can you see yourself changing your paintings or, or what can you see with your paintings in the future? Do you feel like you could be going in different directions or, you know, where do you see yourself heading? Uh, I definitely won't stay in the same lane forever. That's for sure. Um, I mean, all my work, you can clearly see it's mine, no matter like the Frida collection, I think still you can tell that's mine. The Taeong, it's still mine. I think you can see it, even though they're quite different collections I don't really ever want to get stuck. I feel sorry for the artists that get stuck having to paint the same thing for a gallery. I think that sounds like a nightmare. So I don't ever want to do that. Um, but as for seeing where it goes, I, I have no idea. Even for the next collection, I have no idea what comes next. It really changes as I'm painting. Then, I, then it will inform the next idea or the next thing I want to try. I've got to be in there making for the idea to come. So. Mm. Don't know where but somewhere <laughs> that's so great and it's so exciting and I, honestly Sierra I feel like I'm sort of very special to be speaking with you because I really feel like you're going to become one of those New Zealand artists who everybody knows internationally and within New Zealand and uh, you just have something very special your work has something unique and incredible and you have something very special. You're just such a, you have such a beautiful, positive, authentic way about you. And uh, it's just been so lovely to meet you. And I have so much respect for what you've achieved and for your hard work and, you know, the way that you work. And I'm sure our listeners will feel the same. Thank you very, very much for being on the podcast and for sharing your practice and uh, I'm really excited to see where you take this. Oh, thank you so much, Mandy. Um, and I said before the podcast started, but this is, uh, I'm so grateful for the service you offer to artists with this podcast. Um, it's just so nice to hear other artists and feel like you're not alone and same struggles. And uh, it's just really important. And I hope that people recognize that and I hope you recognize it. <laughs>